From the in-town Jewish Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Rabbi Ari Solish, and this is Knowledge on the Deeper Side. In this podcast, we discuss the most inspiring and stimulating Jewish ideas, ideas that challenge the way you think and feel. To sponsor a class or episode, please visit intownjewishacademy.org slash sponsor. And now, on to the episode. Welcome to Daily Power Parish, Thursday, July 21st, 2022. And we are in the middle of the Torah portion of Pinchas, and we have so much to talk about this week. So much to talk about. We cleaned up the aftermath of the plague and Pinchas's heroism. We counted the Jewish men between 20 and 60. We counted the Levites from one month and up. We talked about the division of the land of Israel. We spoke about uh, the daughters of Tzalavchad petitioning for their own piece of the land. Then we spoke about Moses petitioning God to go into the land of Israel himself and, and or, and if not, at least for his son, perhaps to have a position of leadership. And we read yesterday about God's response, which is essentially no to both, no entering the land and also your son will not go into the land either. Uh, sorry, not your son will go. Sorry, your son will not take over from you and be the next leader. It's rather going to go to Joshua. And Moses accepted this with absolute um, acceptance and love. All right, this takes us into, into reading number five. And in reading number five, we go back to the offerings. We go back to the sacrifices. And reading five begins with... The conversation about the Karban Tamid. The Karban Tamid is the constant or consistent or continuous offering that was brought every single day in the Mishkan, later in the temple, wherever there was a holy sanctuary with an altar, the Karban Tamid, Karban means sacrifice, Tamid means constant, was brought. And as we'll see as we read the text, the Karban Tamid consisted of a lamb in the morning and a lamb in the afternoon. God wants lamb for breakfast and lamb for lunch. I'm kidding. Or not. Maybe I'm not kidding. I don't know. It's, it's what's God's uh, uh, sacrificial diet, as it were, on a daily basis. You should know that the Talmud was brought every single day of the week, every single day of the year, whether it was a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Shabbat, whether it was a holiday, the Karban Talmud was always brought. And I, I, I know we've talked about this before, but I feel like it's important to mention it again. The sacrifices back in the day were brought on Shabbat, even though it involved slaughtering and burning things, which we don't do on Shabbat. Nonetheless, uh, these were permitted to do in the temple for the sacrificial service. The Talmud and other offerings were thus brought um, every single Shabbat and uh, for that matter, every single day of the year. One other point to mention, we might all be familiar with the special additional service, prayer service that we do on Shabbat, known as the Musaf, which is the answer, the punchline to one of my favorite jokes. I don't, I'm rolling my eyes at myself. What is a cow's favorite tefillah prayer? The answer is Musaf. Anyway, I'm here all week. So point is, the Musaf, Musaf, 
was the additional is the additional prayer service that we do, the additional meter that we do after Shachris, after the Torah reading on Shabbat. But why do we do it? Because in the temple they brought an additional offering on Shabbat for Shabbat, in addition to the regular standard daily offering. My point being that the Tamid, the Karban Tamid, the, the, the daily sacrifice was brought every single day without exception. That's the intro to this reading. Let's jump right in. All right, Pinchas, fifth reading, Numbers chapter 28. Let's go. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, My offering, my food for my fire offerings. Hello, my food, God says. I said, menu. We thought it was a joke. Lachmi, karbani lachmi li'ishai. My offering, my food, my fire offering, a spirit of satisfaction for me. You shall take care to offer to me at its appointed time. In other words, this offering that's so special, it's my food, my fire offering, it brings me satisfaction. Make sure you do it, you bring it at the right time. When is it? What are the details? Let's keep on going. And you shall say to them, tell the Jewish people, this is the fire offering which you shall offer to the Lord to unblemished lambs in their first year. And you should bring this each day as a continual burnt offering, continual in a sense, every day. The one lamb, so two lambs. When do you bring the lambs? The one lamb you shall offer up in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer up in the afternoon. So one lamb for God in the morning and one lamb for God in the afternoon. Along with the lambs, by the way, if Mary had a little lamb, be nice, insufficient, that would cover like one part of one day. We need more than one lamb. Let's tell Mary to get, uh, to get some more lambs going on. All right, here we go. Along with the lambs, we have one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a meal offering mixed with a quarter of a hint of crushed olive oil. In case you're wondering how you get crushed olive oil, just imagine <laughs> you're at a restaurant. They come over with the dressing and they start... No, I like my olive oil crushed. Like crushed. It means how you got the olive oil, not what you do with the olive oil once you have it, obviously. Just clarifying. All right, back inside, back inside. A continual burnt offering. Sorry? Well, what? I remember when you made olive oil, olive oil. It was like, yeah, the scientist. When did I do that? I'm trying to remember. When did I do that? I don't know. kids. Sure, I will send it to you. Was, I don't know. It was for the kids. Was it a while ago or recently? No, it was in the old building. Well, I've done... Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, for Hanukkah. I've done it a number of times. I'm just trying to remember what was the most recent time. I'll tell you this. Back in the day, I did it. I used to, like, I don't know, every year we would do it for the Hebrew school kids or whatever. I, I used to be good at it. Lately, the last few years have been complete flops. I'm not joking. For some reason, I can't get the olives. Maybe it's the olives. Honestly, I'm going to blame the olives now. The olives, ah, they're just not like they used to be. I don't know. We used to get, basically, the, 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 um, the technique that we've done is you take olives, fresh olives, obviously not from the store, fresh olives from the grove. We got got them in the past from California, and you press them. You just you just get a press and you press the olives, 
you capture what comes out of the olives, which is essentially olive juice. Then we pour it into beakers, put it into a centrifuge, spin it up, and that pulls out, that separates, you know, the, the thick stuff from the liquid. The oil flows to the top. You pour out from all the beakers, I think it's five or six beakers, you pour out the little oil on the top, and you have enough to last for uh, one day or eight days as the miracle uh, progresses. Anyway, the point is, lately, last few years, again, it might be the olives that we're getting. Maybe the supplier is just not giving us the olives that, but I've been getting nothing to the point. I'm looking around to see if there's any like spies listening in. Well, thank God it's just us and the internet. Anyway, the point is, once we post it, um, lately what, I, what I've done is actually, I, um, yeah, I'm sorry to say, but I actually pre, I don't know what the right word is, pre, juice, pre-stock, pre, I don't know, pre-pour olive oil into the mixture. Basically just, you know, I, I, I somehow smuggle actual olive oil into it just to make sure we get something on the flip side. Otherwise, I've been getting just thick stuff and nothing, no, no usable oil, which is very disappointing. Because if you try to burn olive juice, it doesn't work. I've tried. Trust me, I've tried. It's like, well, maybe there's a little oil in here. Nope. <laughs> not, that's not going to light could put your wick in there from today to tomorrow and light it. It's not going to work. Joy, you want to jump in? No. Anyway, so... It's like a cooking show. It's like the Julia Child's cooking show where they're at the underneath handing her stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We made this already. We had our professional team. You just mix this together. Boom, look at it. Um, <laughs> although cooking with Rabbi Ari was always legit. We didn't use any... Uh, no props. But olive oil with olive oil with Rabbi Ari, uh, you, your mileage may vary. Just just letting you know, you may not be getting the real deal. Um, okay, back inside. So this olive oil was crushed, crushed olive oil. Let's continue. It can, oh, by the way, crushed olive oil means that there's a more rigorous pressing. Let me explain. There were different levels of pressing of oil. Pressing of oil, I don't know if that makes any sense. There's certain oil that's like when an olive is ripe, not the ones you get in a USPS box uh, a week later from California, who knows what it's been through. But like when you have a fresh olive, right? So the first squeeze, when you just squeeze it gently, that first oil was used for certain things like the menorah. And then you had other pressings where you crush a little bit more, crush a little bit more, and then you let it separate. That was used for other things like uh, the sacrifices. So this could be crushed. It didn't have to be gently pressed. So this wasn't, wasn't necessarily the first pressing of the olive, uh, of the olive to get the oil. It was subsequent pressing and crushing. All right, this, but back, back to the plot. We're talking about the, the lambs and the continuous offering known as the carbon tamid, a continual burnt offering as the one offered up at Mount Sinai for a spirit of satisfaction, a fire offering to the Lord. That is what this is all about. It's libation. It's libation. Libation means pouring. Along with the sacrifices, stuff was poured. It's libation shall be one quarter of a hen for each lamb to be poured on the holy altar as a libation. What do we pour? What do we pour? Strong wine, a libation of strong wine to the Lord. So again, the offering came with, the service came with an animal, a lamb in its first year, came with flour mixed with oil, 
and a libation, a pouring of wine on the altar. That was in the morning. And the second lamb, you shall offer up in the afternoon. You shall offer it up with the same meal offering, that's the flour and oil, and the same libation as the morning sacrifice, all of which constitutes a fire offering with a spirit of satisfaction to the Lord. Okay, there you go. That's brought every single day. And on the Sabbath day, two unblemished lambs in the first year and two-tenths of an eighth of fine flowers and meal offering mixed with oil and its libation. This is the burnt offering of each Sabbath on its Sabbath. In addition, in addition to the continual burnt offering and its libation. You see what's going on here? In addition. Now in the Hebrew, it doesn't say here Musaf, but that's what Musaf means. Musaf means the additional offering. So on, when we say on the Sabbath day, you bring two unblemished lambs, etc., it's not the same as what we bring every day, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. This is an additional offering. In addition to the continual burnt offering and its libation, we bring an additional two lambs, so four lambs total on Shabbat day. And on Rosh Chodesh, on your Rosh Chodeshes, translated here at the beginning of your months, ah, I'm going to say on, your, on, on Rosh Chodesh, every month you shall offer up a burnt offering to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs in the first year, all unblemished. That's a lot of animals. Ten more animals, two young bulls, one ram, seven lambs. In addition, all in addition to the, to the regular Tamid to the to the continual offering brought every single day. Three tenths of an eighth of fine flowers a meal offering mixed with oil for each bull, and two tenths of an eighth of fine flowers a meal offering mixed with oil for each ram, and one tenth of an eighth of a fine flour mixed with oil as a meal offering for each lamb, a burnt offering with a spirit of satisfaction, a fire offering to the Lord, and their libations, a half a hen for each bull, a third of a hen for each ram, a quarter of a hen for each lamb. And all of that was wine, wine libations. This is the burnt offering of each new month in its month, the Rosh Chodesh. Throughout the months of the year, every Rosh Chodesh, you bring an additional 10 animals along with 10 fine flour mixtures mixed with oil, along with 10 libations, each with differing amounts based on the size of the animal. The bull has the bigger uh, uh, flour mixture, the ram less, and the lamb the least. And the same thing is true with the libation. And, oop, one more thing before we, before we uh, wrap this up. One more thing the Torah says on Rosh Chodesh. And one young male goat for a sin offering to the Lord. It shall be offered up in addition to the continual burnt offering and libation. So you would bring on Rosh Chodesh two lambs morning and afternoon, like every day. You would bring the additional ten animals that we just talked about a moment ago. And one young male goat for a sin offering. All right, but there's a lot to jump into. We just did the whole reading. We read it through pretty quickly. Let's go back and look at Rashi's and get some deeper insights. All right, Rashi. Command the children of Israel. What is stated above, let the Lord appoint. Remember what we said right before this. Rashi, once again, is talking about juxtaposition. Why is this passage about the continual offerings following the story of Moses' petition to God. So Rashi addresses it right away. What is stated above, let the Lord appoint. When Moses, we read this yesterday, Moses asked God to make sure that there's a leader to take him over. So the Holy One, blessed be he, said to him, before you command me regarding my children, command my children regarding me. 
Look at that. Before you tell me what to do with my kids, I'm going to tell you what to do with my kids. This is analogous to a princess who's about to depart from the world and was instructing her husband about her children. And he replied, before you instruct me about them, instruct them about me. Wow. Look at that. It's powerful. Let's read it again. Analogous to a princess who is about to depart from the world. She is on her deathbed. I'm, a, I'm reading this as like a tragic situation. She's dying. And she's telling her husband what to do with the kids. And he says to her, before you tell me what to do with them, tell them about me. Because their mother is leaving this world, tell them to love their dad and to listen to their dad. In other words, you have a tight connection with them. So make sure you tell your kids, not your, our kids, about me. God says similarly, right? Moses is about to depart from this world and Moses says to God, here's what you need to know about them. They need a lot of attention. They need a lot of, you know, individual, individualized care. Yeah. And God says, all right, I got it. But before we go down that road, I want you to tell them not to forget about me. Tell them every day, no matter what, every day to do something for me. A carbon, a sacrifice in the morning and a sacrifice in the afternoon. Have them always think about me continuously. Let's continue next uh, Rashi. My offering, this refers to the blood. My food refers to the sacrificial parts. My fire offerings, which are put in the fires of, the, of my altar. So it's interesting, Rashi breaks down my, my offering, my food, my fire offerings. What is each part? There's the blood, there's the sacrificial parts, and there's what's burned, uh, what's burnt on the altar. You shall take care of the Kohanim, Levites, and Israelites shall stand over them to watch them. Hence, they instructed the Ma'amadot, the representatives of the people who were present at the sacrificial service. And here we're introduced to a very interesting concept. There was a, uh, I don't know that we've had this before in Torah. This might be the first time that we've encountered this. I mean, you and I may have discussed this previously in other classes, but DPP from Genesis until now, even throughout the whole book of Leviticus, Vayikra, I don't think we talked about this. I might be wrong. Anyway, what, what's, what am I talking about? This idea that when the sacrifices were offered, especially the Talmud, which was on behalf of the community, there was a mitzvah to have representatives of the community watching and observing. So not only were the priests, the Kohanim, doing the service and the Levites accompanying the service, but Israelites were there watching. There were various shifts. Ma'amadot, they were called. People who stood up and observed. Um, observers of the sacrifices. So that's what Rashi says. Kohanim, Levites, and Israelites shall stand over them to watch them. Hence they instituted the Ma'amadot, representatives of the people who were present at the sacrificial service, since everyone had to be there. So there was a, a formal, organized way that this was done, where people, representatives of the Israelites, were observing these offerings at the appointed time. Each day is the appointed time prescribed for the continual offerings. In other words, what does it mean at the appointed time? Daily. Daily. You shall say to them, this is an admonition to rabbinical court, to each day. To be understood according to its simple meaning that two sacrifices were to be offered every day. Primarily, however, it also comes to teach that they should be uh, slaughtered opposite the sun 
also known as Yom, um, the continual sacrifice of the morning to the west and the one in the afternoon to the east of the ring set on the floor of the temple courtyard. Interesting. It followed the sun, as it were, in within the, the, the temple itself. There were a few places where the sacrifices could be offered, could be slaughtered, and it followed in the morning the, the path of the sun. So in the morning, it was to the west. I know the, the sun rises in the east, but it's opposite the sun. Facing the sun, not where, not on the side of the sun, but opposite the sun. So in the morning, they brought, they slaughtered the sacrifice, the daily sacrifice on the west side of the rings, and on the in the afternoon, the east side. All right, back inside, um, verse four: the one lamb you shall offer up in the morning, etc. Rashi, even though this was already stated in the portion of Atatetzave, this is what you shall offer up on the altar: the one lamb you shall offer in the morning. That was an instruction for the days of the investitures of the Kohana. Whereas here, he commanded it for all generations. That Rashi says, in Exodus, we read about a lamb in the morning, a lamb in the afternoon. But he says, yeah, that was only for the seven days of inauguration. When, this, when, the, when the Mishkan was being uh, you know, put into training, the, the dry run, so to speak. This is now for all time. This is the mitzvah for all time. One lamb in the morning, one lamb in the afternoon. All right, along with that was fine flour for meal offering, the meal offering of the libations, which accompanied the sacrifice. Um, it says, a continual burnt offering as the one offered on Mount Sinai. What's the connection between this and Mount Sinai, Rashi? Like those offered up during the days of the investitures, um, when the, it doesn't mean Mount Sinai, but it means the, the desert Sinai, Sinai Desert, when the Mishkan was being inaugurated, and we just mentioned a few rashes ago that they did these daily offerings. Well, now it's to be done for all time. Another interpretation, offered up, so that's one interpretation of Mount Sinai. Another interpretation, offered up at Mount Sinai, uh, the continual burnt offering is compared to the continual offering of Mount Sinai. The one offered before the giving of the Torah, about which it is written, he put the blood in the, into the basins. This teaches us that the continual burnt offering requires a vessel for its blood to contain and hold the blood. That's a lesson that we learned uh, by mentioning Mount Sinai. That was done with that offering. That needs to be done also for this offering. It's libation of wine um, to be poured on the holy. What does it mean, the holy? Well, we had brackets, but the Torah doesn't have brackets. So what's the holy? Rashi explains they should be poured on the altar. Hence, the bracketed word altar that comes from Rashi. Libation of strong wines. This is intoxicating wine. This comes to exclude wine straight from the wine press, which is not fermented. No grape juice. No grape juice. Somebody told me, oh, it was Donna last night. She said that she was in, where was she? Total Wine, Whole Foods, I don't know, some wine place. And they said they don't, they, they don't carry Manischewitz because Manischewitz has artificial ingredients in it. Wow, that's some art, some Manischewitz smack talk right there. Who knows? I don't remember which store that was, but like Manischewitz, it's an institution. I'll take my Manischewitz and whatever chemicals they pump in. Let's do it. I'm kidding. I don't actually drink Manischewitz. Um, but I know it's a, it's a traditional beverage of choice for uh, many MOTs. You know what MOT is, right? Members of the tribe. Um, back to our story. Not that anyone would ever choose Manischewitz. Like, oh, I want a good wine. Let's go for Manischewitz. Like, that's not a thing. But Manischewitz is it's evocative of tradition. Back to the story. 
the wine libation had to be wine that could get you intoxicated. Not that anybody was drinking, you poured it, but it had to be of that varietal or of that strength that it could theoretically get you a little farshnukr, uh, as they say in Yiddish, a little uh, tipsy, right? It can't be straight from the press. We call that grape juice. That's fine. It's fine. You know, I'm, I'm a fan of a little sparkling, you know, G, GJ every now and again. That's uh, grape juice in French. Anyway, but I'm a fan of, uh, sorry, Sandrine. Anyway, <laughs> for making up a language that you know. Uh, but, you know, it's, it, you couldn't pour some Kedem sparkling grape juice on the altar. I mean, you could. No, you couldn't. You really couldn't. Don't, don't try that at home. Or even not at home. Oh, we got Mark. Um, Mark, welcome. Oh, not yet. Hey, Mark. Welcome. All right. Back in, we were just speaking about Manischewitz. Um, quality wine. Quality wine. All right. Back inside. The second lamb should be offered up. It's a fire offering with a spirit of satisfaction. Reach nichoach. Rashi explains what does it mean, a spirit of satisfaction. It is gratifying, uh, So, uh, as if God is saying this, right? It is gratifying t- uh, for me that I spoke and my will was carried out. And as God says, I love the fact, it feels good. I get nachas. Reach nichoach is like nachas. I get nachas. That's, sorry, that's literally what Rashi says. Nachas ruach lefana. It's the spirit of nachas. I'm getting nachas that I, that I told you, I, I said, and you guys are doing it. I love it. The daily offering was very, very special. Now on Shabbat, they would bring the burnt offering of each Sabbath on its Sabbath. But not the burnt offering of this Sabbath on another Sabbath. What does that mean? For if they did not offer one up on this Sabbath, I might think that two should be offered up on the following Sabbath. Let's say for whatever reason, whoops, you forgot to bring the Sabbath offering. All right, we'll make up for it. We'll double double or nothing next Shabbat, next Sabbath. Nope, you can't do that. The scripture therefore says on its Sabbath to instruct us that if its day passes, its offering is canceled. In other words, if you miss it, it's done. Can't make it up. There's no make up for this offering. Uh, by the way, this is very important because there were many offerings that did have makeup days. In other words, some, some sacrifices, if you missed one opportunity, you had time to still bring it. Well, the, the Talmud discusses this. But this offering, the Shabbat offering, if you missed it, done. Never to be repeated again. I remember growing up in Pittsburgh, there was a department store called Kaufman's. I don't know if it existed anywhere else. Um, I'm sure it did, but I don't know exactly which region it was. It was bought out eventually by, oh man, Kaufman's was brought up, bought out by, something that was then bought out by Macy's. I forget, there was one other one in between. This is just the Pittsburgh Mall. Um, it wasn't called the Pittsburgh Mall, but anyway, the mall in Pittsburgh. So I remember growing up in the newspaper, the Pittsburgh Press and then the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, they would always have, every weekend, it was like big sales. It was like, oh my God, big, big, huge sales. It's like 40% off shoes and 50% off 
perfumes and 70% off watch it, like the, the big sale in the newspaper, like huge sale. It was like, oh my gosh, yeah. And the next week, again, the next week, again. It's like if you ever miss the sale, just wait a day. <laughs> You'll get another sale. There's all, I've never seen anything like constant sales. The place was never retail. Maybe that's why they had to sell. I don't, it was always on sale. The place was literally always on sale. So sometimes if you miss one, you can catch it later. Not with this. No, no, no. No siree, Bob. You cannot. If you miss that Sabbath sacrifice, that's it. That's it. We call that Black Sabbath. I'm kidding. That was the band. Yeah. Anyway, if you miss it, it's a sad day, but you missed it. You cannot make it up later. All right. Um, Black Sabbath was what? Was that heavy metal? Yeah. All right. My, yeah. fav- my favorite uh, genre of music. All right. Back inside. Back. I'm more of a Metallica guy, but whatever. Anyway. <laughs> In addition to the continual burnt offering, Rashi, this refers to the additional Musaf offerings. Ah, look at that. There it is. In Rashi, stated clearly, it's a Musaf. Besides those two lambs of the continual burnt offering, right? This is the additional offering. And it teaches us that they, the additional sacrifices, may be offered only between the two continual offerings. Aha. Uh-huh. Similarly, in the case of all the additional offerings, this is an additional continual burnt offering for this teaching. Let me explain what Rashi is saying. On Shabbat, in addition to the continual offerings that are brought every day and Shabbat, you bring an additional offering. Hence the term Musaf. It's an additional offering. When do you bring it? In between the two daily offerings. In other words, there's one lamb in the morning, one lamb in the afternoon. When do you bring the Musaf? Somewhere in the middle. That's why. Oh, I should probably. I didn't clarify this earlier. All right. Well, now's always a good time. In commemoration of these two daily offerings, the morning and afternoon, we have two daily prayers. Shachris in the morning and Mincha in the afternoon. We have a third prayer at night. That's because they, whatever wasn't, whatever they didn't finish burning on the altar, they burnt it throughout the night. So we have one night uh, prayer service as well. But the two major ones are the morning and the afternoon to commemorate the Tabit, this, this very daily offering that we're speaking about today. On Shabbat, there was a Musaf offering. When was that brought? We just read in Rashi, in, the, in between the two. That's why we say Musaf on Shabbat. Our, our Musaf prayer, which commemorates the, the additional offering in the temple, it's done between Shachris, the morning service, and Mincha, the afternoon service. Typically, it's appended at the end of the morning service. You, do the, you, 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 you pray the morning service, then you have the Torah reading, and then you do the Musaf. And then after that, a little later, when it's time, it has to be a little bit later in the afternoon, you do the mincha prayer. All right, hope all that makes sense. All right, back inside. Um, any questions so far? I should pause for questions. No? Okay. Three-tenths of an ephah, as is the case, Rashi says, as is the case with libations brought with a bull. For, the, for thus they are fixed in the portion dealing with libations, in other words, anytime you're bringing a bull offering, when you pour the wine, uh, and it, it, so every offering was accompanied with a flower offering and a wine pouring. And the, the, the volume or the, the amount of flour and oil and wine was um, determined by the size of the animal that you were bringing. A bull, a ram, a lamb, etc. 
And so Rashi is just saying that this is the bull uh, algorithm. The bull goes with three tenths of an eighth of five flour, um, etc. Okay, let's continue. Um, this is the burnt offering of each new month in this month. So then, then, then the Torah gets into Rosh Chodesh. However, once its day passes, its offering is canceled. There's no way to make up to make it up. If you miss for whatever reason, if they forgot or just didn't get around to bringing the Rosh Chodesh offering in the temple, you could not bring it the next day. It's no longer Rosh Chodesh. You can't. You have to bring it on the new day, the, the, on the first of the month. There's no grace period. There's no grace period. It's not like your mortgage. It's due the first of the month, but okay, you can do the second. It's okay, it's fine, right? I, I'm not giving any financial advice, by the way. You're on your own with that. I'm just saying, right? But like this, once you're, once you're out, once it's past the first day, you can no longer bring it back in sight. And one young male goat, this is the last verse of this reading, one young male goat was a sin offering What's going on over here? What's this young male goat? And why is it a sin offering? Rashi. All the additional offering goats were brought to atone for the defiling of the sanctuary and its holy sacrifices, as is outlined in the tractate of Shavuot. The young male goat brought on the first day of the month on Rosh Chodesh differs insofar as with regard to it, Scripture says, to the Lord. Right? It says young, one young male goat for a sin offering to the Lord. This teaches you that it atones for a case where there is no awareness of the person's uncleanness either before entering the temple or eating sacrificial food or after the sin has been committed. The only one aware of the sin is the Holy One, blessed be He. We derive this law of the, young, of the other young male goats from this one. In the Agadah, it is expounded thus. The Holy One, blessed be He, said, bring atonement for me. Oh, sorry. One second, time out. All of this is one interpretation. And then when Rashi says in the Agatha, he launches into a second interpretation. But let's, let's get clarity here. Interpretation number one, what's the sin offering? It's simple. It means a sin offering means um, if somebody walked into the temple in a state of impurity, they didn't know about it. They didn't know they were impure. But they were impure. They defiled the temple, but they didn't know. So what do you do? If they never know, they can never bring a sin offering. So we bring one every Rosh Chodesh. We bring one every Rosh Chodesh, once a month. We bring this one young male goat to atone for any mistakes that were made that no one ever found out about, and the only one that knows about it is God. Right? That's why it's a sin offering to the Lord. Only God knows. Mistakes were made. No one ever caught it. God knows. Once a month, we say, God, sorry for anything we don't know about. Anything that only you know about that we don't know about, apologies. And it's a sin offering. That's one interpretation. Shift gears. Put that aside in your head. Compartmentalize for a second. Second interpretation. In the Agada, it is expounded thus. The Holy One, blessed be He said, bring atonement for me because I diminish the size of the moon. This goes back to a very famous and a very awesome section of the Talmud. The Talmud says, the Talmud analyzes the Torah. The Torah says in the beginning, day number four of creation, in Bereshis, in the beginning. We've certainly studied this together multiple times. It says that God created two great luminaries. The great luminary to rule by day and the smaller luminary to rule by night. The commentaries wonder, the Talmud wonders, everyone wonders. Hold on, 
It says God created two, two great luminaries. Then it says one great, one small. Were there two great or was there one great? How, how many large luminaries were there? One or two? The Talmud says, originally, initially, they were both great. The sun and the moon were both large and luminescent. And then the moon spoke up before God and the moon said, it's not, it's not proper for two kings to share the same kingdom, to share the same crown. You're putting the sun, you're putting both of us, me and the sun, in the same sky, it's going to cause all sorts of things. God says to the moon, you spoke correctly, good, very good point, go and diminish yourself. God basically makes the moon smaller. That means smaller in size and also smaller in radiance. The moon no longer shines on its own. It merely reflects, of course, as we know, the radiance of the sun. To which the sun complained, because I spoke up, you're punishing me? And there's a back and forth in the Talmud. Ultimately, God says, you're right, my bad. So once a month, once a month, bring an offering for me, for my apologies. In other words, this will be atonement for me, for me diminishing the moon. This will be my atonement. God is basically saying, it's very hard to say this, and I apologize, right? I'm just kind of putting it into words. It's almost like God is saying, my bad. I did, I did something, you know, wrong. Not really wrong, but I did something, okay? And therefore, you're going to bring an atonement for me once a month. And that is the Agotic, Agotic interpretation. So the halachic interpretation, Jewish legal interpretation, is that this Rosh Chodesh sin offering was for anyone who mistakenly went to the temple or ate a sacrifice, a sacrificial meat in a state of impurity. They never knew about it. God knows about it. So this catches, this is a catch-all atonement offering. The agadic interpretation is that God is almost apologizing for diminishing the moon. And that's why it's done on Rosh Chodesh when the moon starts becoming larger again. It doesn't actually become larger, but when the, the brightness of the moon once again is in the waxing state. After it's waned and disappeared and now it comes back, now we bring this offering. God says, apologies for diminishing the moon as it was, as it were. Bring this atonement offering for me. Of course, this has much more depth. It's not a Baba Mice, it's not a fairy tale. It's the story of our lives. Initially, we begin in a state of purity, in a state of holiness, in which our soul is connected with God in a pure state. Then we're sent into this world. We're diminished. And we say to God, are you kidding me? What did I do wrong? It's all part of the plan. It's all part of the plan. God, it, it's, it, it, yes, our souls initially are a piece of God, but now they find themselves, who knows where, right? In a body, with an animal soul, and an evil inclination, contending to survive and, you know, hopefully eke out some sort of spiritual success. That's, the, that's where the soul finds itself. And it's difficult. And God almost says, I, I feel bad. But not that it's not worth it. Not that, it's, uh, not that God will change his mind. This has to happen. You have to start off with the moon being, you know, on, on, uh, by the sun, equivalent with the sun. And then the moon has to be diminished. Because ultimately God's intention with all of this creation is that we, on our own, should choose to shine should choose to reflect God because that's what a relationship is. Any relationship that is forced, I can't have a relationship with a mirror, right? Because it's still me. 
How are you? Oh, I'm glad you asked. It's, whoa, that's you. It's no one else. It's the same you. A perfect reflection is not a relationship. A relationship is when the other has their own mind, has their own thoughts, has their own ideas, has their own identity, has their own life, has their own reality, and they still choose you. That's a relationship. You have your own reality, your own identity, your own story, and you still chose me. Wow, I'm touched. A mirror, I'm not flattered when the mirror smiles at me. Because that's actually me. I smile at the mirror and say, oh, you're so nice. That would be weird. Straight up, it would be weird, right? Because that's literally me. God starts off with mirrors. Starts off with mirrors. Two body, two luminescent bodies, the sun and the moon. The moon was a perfect reflection, a pure reflection. Perfect, perfection. That's not the plan. The moon has to be diminished. And the moon is diminished because the moon itself realizes that there's no point to being a reflection. The mirror says, why am I here? Just to reflect you? All right, is that meaningful? How does that make you feel? You feel flattered that the mirror is smiling back at you, knowing that that's actually you? You shouldn't. If someone, if a stranger smiles at you, a loved one or whatever, that someone else smiles at you, that means something. If you smile at yourself, okay, <laughs> it's interesting, but, but now what? That doesn't mean anything other than you're smiling, which is certainly meaningful, but it's not a relationship. So God wants a relationship. So God says to us, it relates to what we spoke about last night also, birth and all that souls before birth, after birth. There's a reality of closeness pre this. The soul was part of God. And now it's thrust into a body with an animal soul, evil inclination, and all, and all the challenges, physical, spiritual, and otherwise of this world. And that's the point. That you and I living a material life Living in a material world. That's a song also, right? Living in a material world that we should still choose. You see, all my pop references are like 80s and 90s. I'm just, I'm dating myself, just so, just so you know. Um, anyway, so that, that we should choose a relationship with God. That's what makes it significant. So God says, every Rosh Chodesh, I apologize. I had to do it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you're not a mirror, but I wouldn't have any, I wouldn't have it any other way. By the way, is there a risk? Of course there's a risk. There's a risk with God giving us our own mind, free choice. What if we don't choose? What if we don't choose? You know, it'd be easier to have a relationship when you're um, controlling the other. Profoundly unhealthy, right? Run for the hills if that's the case. But I'm saying it would be theoretically easier because you're controlling the, you're controlling the situation. It's not a relationship. It's a relationship when the other one has freedom and still chooses. Still chooses you. That's a relationship. So God says, I'm sorry, you know, about giving you your own choice and your own this and your own that. And I see the struggle. I see the challenge is real. But I wouldn't have it any other way. But every Rosh Chodesh, bring an offering. Bring one young goat as a sin offering. To remind all of us, me, you, and to remind us today, right here, July 21st, 2022, 
that this world is not easy. This life is a challenge. But God and we would really not have it any other way. This is where the relationship is forged, a real relationship with God. Is the soul, does the soul have a relationship with God above? Sure, but it can't really choose anything else. This is a relationship down here, is a relationship of choice. Every time you study Torah, it's a choice. Every time you do a mitzvah, it's a choice. Every time you say a prayer, it's a choice. That makes it meaningful. It's like the moon. Some days it's dark. Some days it's bright. Some moments of the day we feel less connected. Some moments we feel more connected. But it's always the product of a, cho- of a choice which makes the end result meaningful. And so this is the message of Rosh Chodesh, the message of the offering of Rosh Chodesh, the sin offering. God says, bring it for us and our relationship, our imperfect, a beautiful relationship. All right, back inside, I feel like we have another Rashi or two to read. It shall be offered up in... Yes. Yesterday I sent you something, and I found it intriguing, that this preceded... uh, Rashi is saying, uh, bring an atonement for me, for my having reduced the size of the moon. And this is where, uh, this was from Baba Basra, where he said, this is where he was talking about the, uh, Moses and, uh, and uh, Joshua. He says, uh, the light of the moon is reflection of the light of the sun. Right. By the same token, the light of the written Torah, which shone from the face of Moses, the prophet who was the vehicle by which God communicated it, was caught by Joshua. It was reflected to the Israelite nation right. as it was comprehended by the intellect of Joshua, the moon. This was the origin of the transmission of the light of the oral Torah. But I find it very interesting that this, which talks about the sun and the moon, which was Moses and Joshua, and then was the written Torah and the oral Torah, and just uh, one reading later, uh, we're talking about... Uh, God says, bring an atonement for me, for my having reduced the size of the moon. Right. Beautiful. And I, I must have missed that communication from you. But yeah, that's that's amazing. That Moses is like the sun, he's the and Joshua is the reflection, is the moon. And that perfectly parallels, right, what we're talking about today. The moon makes it meaningful. It's it's not the same, but it makes it meaningful because it's a reflection of choice. Right? Joshua chose to be a reflection of Moses. It wasn't automatic. He wasn't the child. He chose, he opted in, he put in the effort to be that reflection. Um, and you're right, it's two days in a row, two readings in a row. That's why I was holding up too. It wasn't a peace sign, although peace sign is also great. Uh, but yeah, two days in a row where we have that, that theme. Um, by the way, speaking of the peace sign, when I was a kid in camp, I remember this vividly, we used to sing at the end of benching, um, Oh, Shalom, or we would sing, Shalom, no, what's the tune? Um, whatever, when we say, Oh, Shalom, at the end of the, the Grace After Meals, we do it also at the end of the Amida, whatever, but we always would go like this, peace sign, peace signs, you know, this was back in the day, 80s, I guess we were closer to peace signs. I asked my kids, you got, you, like I sometimes do this with the kids, they're like, you know what that is? They're like, no. Well, sit down and let me tell you a story. <laughs> let me tell you. Huh? They do other things with their hands. So. I, exactly. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway. Back inside. It shall be offered up in addition to the new. We're offering this entire offering, not just the young male goat. 
And it's libation. The phrase in its libation does not refer to the young male goat because sin offerings have no libations. So this end refers to a previous, the previous offerings that were brought on Rosh Chodesh. All right, I want to conclude with one additional insight, not in Rashi. So there's a dispute amongst the sages of either the Talmud or the Midrash. I mean, they all come from, it all comes from the same era, same, same people. Anyway, uh, by the way, if you're wondering what the difference between Talmud and Midrash is, well, then stay tuned for the course called The People in the Books, or Booksmart, oh, I think the name was changed, to Booksmart, which is a JLI course starting in January 2023. Check your local listings for more information. We'll talk about the books and the difference between Midrash and Talmud and Kabbalah and all that stuff. It's a course that I told you before I, uh, I, I helped edit all right, back, only if it came out good. Otherwise, I'll deny, I'll deny everything and burn the recordings. Anyway, so back, in, uh, back to this point. So there's a dispute amongst the sages as to what is the, you know, the primary verse of the entire Torah. If you had to boil the entire Torah down to one verse, what would it be? So one rabbi says, love your fellows yourself. It's the quintessential verse of the Torah. Love your fellows yourself. Other one says, no, it's the one that talks about the human being being created in the image of God, right? In the image of God, he created them. Ah, oh, that's, the, that's the verse of the entire Torah. The other one, spe- other one says about the uh, verse regarding like law and justice. All these wonderful theories. And there's one other rabbi, fourth rabbi, who says, it's not the one about love, loving your fellows yourself. It's not the one about being created in the divine image. It's not the one about law and order. It's the one from this reading. It's the verse from this reading that is the quintessential verse of the entire Torah. If you had to choose one verse from the Torah to capture what Torah is, it's this. One lamb you shall offer up in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer up in the afternoon. That is the verse of the Torah. One lamb in the morning, one lamb in the evening. The commentaries wonder, what? How? The one that speaks about love, Sure. Speaks about human dignity. Fantastic. Law and order. Absolutely essential. One lamb in the morning or one lamb in the afternoon. You sugar. What's going on? How is that the verse of the entire Torah? Share with you an insight. Powerful idea. And we'll conclude with this. You know, some days we're more inspired. Some days we're less inspired. Going back to the relationship analogy. Right? Life is basically God creating us, creating space, and saying, will you choose me? I'm here. Let me know. Some days we choose God. Some days we're way too busy. Some days we're on fire spiritually. Some days we're cold. And when I say day, I mean really minute by minute. We might wake up in the morning inspired, ready to take on the day and do great things that make the world a better place. And by breakfast time, we've already resigned to the ordinary and the mundane. We're driving along and we're spiritually inspired. And then we hit the proverbial pothole in the uh, uh, pothole? Is that what it's called? Yeah, pothole in the road. And the next thing you know, we're in a bad mood and forget about it. All our spiritual aspirations are out the window. Some days we're more excited, we feel more excited, some days less. And so thus the Torah tells us the following. 
if you really want a relationship with God. It's not about the moments when you're excited. It's not about those inspired moments. It's about the daily acts of commitment. One lamb in the morning and one lamb in the afternoon. If you can bring one lamb in the morning and what if you can give one lamb in the morning and one lamb in the afternoon every single day you know what that means it means that your level of commitment in this relationship is impervious to the emotional and spiritual ups and downs that you are reflecting a commitment that runs deeper than your mood you are are, are uh, you are anchored on a level of commitment that is absolutely part and parcel of your core. You are anchored to your neshama, which is impervious to your mood and to your whims and to your excitement. You are absolutely dedicated. And the message, and that's why, according to this rabbi, that is why this represents, this captures the entirety of Torah. Because the entirety of Torah is about advising our relationship with God. And here's the greatest advice. You want a relationship with God? Sure. How do you get it? Commitment. Commitment. Unflagging, unwavering commitment. It's not about, I was excited, so I prayed. Tomorrow, nah, I wasn't excited, or yesterday, I wasn't excited, I didn't pray. This is a commitment that transcends your mood. A commitment that transcends feelings. A commitment that transcends all of those things that go up and down that are transient. This is an anchored commitment, an absolute commitment. And this commitment is what forges our relationship with, with God. It's what, it's what really fuses us and binds us to our source. It's the commitment. In a human relationship, it's the same thing. Some days we feel more in love and some days maybe we feel a little less in love. Whatever that means. It's an emotional thing. Whatever that emotion feels like to you. Some days might be more intense, some days less. The question though is not how do you feel. The question is... How are you doing or what are you doing? Are you giving to the relationship? Are you giving to the other? So God says, here's how it works. If you want a relationship, give. Give, offer, sacrifice, do for the other every day. One in the morning, one in the afternoon. Again, this is about a sacrifice, but applying it to our lives. Daily, consistent effort and attention to the relationship, whether I'm inspired to do so and excited about it or whether I'm not. If I can be committed to give, not just to take, but to give to my relationship, whether it's to God, my relationship with God, or whether my relationship with, with a human being. If I can be conscious to give every single day, I will have a strong relationship without a doubt. That's why, according to this commentary, that's why this rabbi, says that this verse, a lot of this is in that sentence, in this sentence, that's why this rabbi, according to this commentary, says that this verse is the quintessential verse. It's the core of the entire Torah. The entire Torah is not about moods. The entire Torah is about action and commitment and seeing it through even when you're not excited. So yes, one rabbi says, love your fellows yourself, but what happens if you don't? One lamb in the morning, one lamb in the afternoon, do it anyway. Everyone's creating the divine image, but what if you see somebody as a nudnik? What if they're what if they're just eating at your patience? I know God created them, but I don't care right now because they're annoying. One lamb in the morning, one lamb in the afternoon. 
What about law and justice when it butts up with uh, my other whims and wishes? One lamb in the morning and one lamb in the afternoon every single day. Do not waver in your commitment to love, to respect, and to society. And if we can bring one lamb in the morning, offer, give one lamb in the morning, one lamb in the afternoon, this world will be a better place. Our relationships will be healthier and our relationship with God will be that much stronger. All right, that's all I got for today. Hope that made sense. Um, There you go, a little innocent verse, seemingly innocent verse from our reading serves to provide one of the greatest lessons of all time. That's, that's the truth of Torah. It's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. All right, great to see you all. Any questions, comments? Yeah, Rabbi Arya, I see that this, this was called uh, the continual offering. Uh, and I saw one other note here. It said... Um, this is, uh, this is from what's, uh, uh, what does Sif say? What is it's that? a commentary on Rashi. It says the comparison tells us that despite the fact that bringing, bringing a continual offering is an ongoing routine, the offerings remain as dear to God as the first continual offerings brought at the time of oh, inauguration. Love it. That's a great insight. Love it. And this is fair, fair it's yeah. like it goes the other way. So now you're doing it every day. But now it can get boring for you and the recipient. It's like you say, good morning, I love you every single day. All right, at some point it becomes a script. No, God loves it every time like the first time. That's beautiful. Never gets old. Never gets old. Beautiful. Excellent way to end today's session. All right, great to see you all. Um, Today's Thursday. So we have one more session tomorrow uh, for this Torah portion. And we conclude Pinchas. Reading 6 and 7 tomorrow. Stay tuned for all the magic as it unfolds. Maybe we'll even hit the Haftorah if we can get through. Because it's really about, for the, to, to the end of the Torah portion, it's all about sacrifices. And the, and the, um, the sacrifices that were brought on the holidays. So, you know, I mean, we'll do some insights, but it's mainly factual, um, informational. So maybe we can even squeeze in a, a little uh, Jeremiah from the Haftorah. All right. Stay tuned. All right, we'll see you all. Have a wonderful day. Stay dry in this weather if you're in Atlanta. All right, take care. We'll see you guys. All right, bye. Pleasure. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find us online at intownjewishacademy.org and on YouTube at intownjewishacademy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.